It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, October 29th, 2021. Happy Friday from Chicago. It's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Happy to have you here every day. Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We always urge you to listen to the show as it airs live. If you can't, there's a podcast. It's on demand. It is free every day, including bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Here's the lineup today. It's Ladies' Day, apparently, on the Guy Benson Show. Here, right in the thick of spooky season, we have A.B. Stoddard. We have Janice Dean. We have Julie Banderas. Really looking forward to all of those conversations. They are all coming up. Fox News alert as we begin. Stats on COVID. Case count 45.7 million all in in the United States over the course of the pandemic. Low ball estimate. Real number is three to four times higher. The death toll now with and of COVID among Americans, 743,050. The Dow is on the rise again. It is better than 35,700 right now. We'll see how it closes at the end of the week. We'll bring you that number at the top of the next hour. Well, after we got off the air yesterday, I teased this. I gave you a little bit of a heads up, hinting at it. Fox News had a new poll coming out about the Virginia governor's race. And a little birdie had given me a heads up about what was going to be in that poll. It was embargoed until 6 p.m., meaning sort of in news jargon, I could not mention a word of it in terms of the results until 6 p.m. They aired on special report, so my thumb was just hovering over the publish button, right, the send tweet button on my phone, because it is a very dramatic turnaround in the Fox News poll. As a matter of fact, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, we had him on the show yesterday. He sounded confident, didn't he? Talking about different issues, talking about their standing in the race. He said, you know, we see what the polls are right now publicly. We're going to beat those polls. Our numbers show us up. He really sounded upbeat. I guess now we have a better sense of maybe why he was so confident sounding. And at a rally last evening, He got a load of the new Fox News poll. He decided to share it with the crowd. They went nuts. Here's what it sounded like in cut 13. Let me tell you what's happening right now because I just happened to see a new Fox poll. You ready? Youngkin 53, McAuliffe 45. How about that? You know what that is? That's Virginians coming together. So... Just an earth-shattering poll. A few weeks ago in the Fox News poll, Youngkin was trailing Terry McAuliffe by five points. Now, in the new poll, he's up by eight. The Republican, Glenn Youngkin, 53. The Democrat, Terry McAuliffe, 45. 
When you look at the cross tab, so some of like the internal numbers in the poll, Youngkin is leading by 14 points among, wait for it, parents. Imagine that. Plus 14 for Youngkin. Plus 11 on the economy for Youngkin. Plus 12 on crime for Youngkin. Plus 8 on education for Youngkin. Even plus 1 on handling COVID. He's been running against mandates, unlike Terry McAuliffe. So that is a, a really an astonishing development. Now, is it a bit of an outlier so far? Well, sort of, but there are two other polls out within the last 24 hours that now show Glenn Youngkin ahead. One is a Republican internal poll that has him up four. Another is a public poll from Echelon Insights, which is Patrick Ruffini and our friend Kristen Soltis-Anderson, their firm. Echelon Insights did their numbers in Virginia. They've got Glenn Youngkin up three on Terry McAuliffe. So the, the tables seem to have turned a bit, shall we say, in this race. Now, there's a poll that has come out today, right? So the Echelon poll with Yunkin up three, uh, that was today. There was also a Washington Post poll that came out, and this was the one that a lot of journos were sharing, and Democrats were consoling themselves with the Washington Post poll, which has Terry McAuliffe up by one single point, 49 to 48. Now, he was up five in their last poll. Now he's only up one. Actually, I think he was up three in their last poll. Fact check. Here's what's interesting about the Washington Post poll. And look, you can dive into the internals and analyze the numbers till your eyes glaze over. I think what's important here is the trajectory and the trend in this race is pretty uniform in one direction. So it went from, in Washington Post, McAuliffe plus three to McAuliffe plus one. What was shocking is a lot of people were noticing in the Washington Post poll that Yunkin in that poll, this is the poll that has Yunkin trailing by a point, Yunkin is ahead among independents by 18 points. 18 points. There has been, get ready for this, a 42-point swing on education in recent weeks in favor of Glenn Youngkin, who now leads on the issue of education in multiple polls, including this one. Remember when the Democrats were saying this is all trumped up and fake? That was Barack Obama's line. Phony. Trumped up culture war. Right? Doing his whole campaign shtick out on the trail. And Terry McAuliffe doubling down on attacking parents. All of this is just ginned up and invented by Glenn Youngkin. Well, parents are flocking away from Terry McAuliffe to Glenn Youngkin. And on the issue of education, it's gone from a big Democratic advantage to a big Democratic disadvantage. They can keep telling themselves a little happy story that it's all fake and imaginary. The numbers would suggest otherwise. Now, you might be wondering, as I did, how the hell do independents go for Youngkin by 18 points in this poll, which is up 10 percentage points from their last poll? Youngkin has gained 10 points among independents since the last Washington Post poll. How is that even possible to have a top-line result with Terry McAuliffe ahead by a point? 
but because the people that were surveyed in this, the sample is a bit more, actually like significantly more democratic this time around than last time, and they surveyed a lot fewer independents. So this new poll is D plus 7. We will very much be interested to see if it's a D plus 7 electorate on Tuesday. I doubt it. D plus 7 sample with far fewer independents actually surveyed this time around. And I think it is illustrative of the way things are moving for the sample to get four points more Democratic versus last time and for the race overall to move two points toward Glenn Youngkin. That kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Now, I have no idea what's going to happen on Tuesday. Am I feeling more optimistic about Glenn Youngkin today than I was a few days ago? Yes. How can you not? There's three new polls out that has him ahead, that have him ahead. And even the Washington Post poll, with all of their heavy Democratic sampling, they have shown major shifts toward Youngkin, and it's a tied race, 49-48. If the real result ends up being somewhere in between the Washington Post result and the Fox News poll result, that would be a modest Glenn Youngkin win. Now, I've seen some data, I've also heard this as well, through the grapevine, that the early voting is favoring McAuliffe, which is expected, but it's not favoring McAuliffe to the extent that the Democrats need. I have heard that the Yunkin campaign has certain projections of what the electorate needs to look like for them to win, and they need to get at least 35% of the early vote to then set up for a big turnout and win on Election Day. And what I'm hearing is they are not only hitting that mark, they have exceeded that mark so far. So that would suggest they're feeling pretty good about where they are at the moment. That's the way Glenn Youngkin sounded on this show yesterday. It's the way he's feeling and looking and sounding on the trail. But none of that actually pans out and works unless people turn out and vote on Tuesday. The whole theory of the race of the Republicans is a big turnout among their base and now right-leaning independents on Election Day itself, which is typically how Republicans like to vote, but the turnout is going to be absolutely essential. As for the excitement around Terry McAuliffe on the other side, I mean, some of these rallies, if you can even call them that, they're like loose gatherings. Like, is that a campaign rally or a few people milling around for some reason? It's been pretty weak. And you want to talk about desperation. I saw Eric Swalwell, you know, the congressman out from uh, California who was involved with a Chinese spy, that one. He tweeted something very ugly, basically saying outright that Glenn Youngkin secretly wants to use the N-word about black people all the time, and he can't. So instead, he's talking about critical race theory. That's Eric Swalwell's take, which really isn't far from Terry McAuliffe's take. What Joe Biden's had to say, I mean, they are going ugly, they are going racial, they're insulting people. This is why I think it's fair to call them desperate. And if their internal numbers are looking anything close to what some of these public numbers are looking at, it would make sense why they're sort of having a bit of a meltdown. Which brings me to, and I do sort of love this, The latest little stunt and controversy in the race, and I've written about it. It's at townhall.com. You can read it. I've got a few updates. I've been tweeting about it as well. There were five people who showed up to a Yunkin event. He's doing this bus tour. He talked about it in our interview yesterday. These people showed up. They're all wearing khaki pants, white button-down shirts, 
baseball caps, sunglasses, and they have tiki torches that look like they still have like the stickers on them from the dollar store. They bought them these costumes earlier today. And they showed up and they're saying, we're all in for Glenn and they're taking photos in front of the bus and they are posing as Yunkin supporters. And this photo is then being shared by journalists and Democratic staffers being like, oh, my God, look at these racists from Charlottesville. The white nationalists and the white supremacists, they are turning out for their man, Glenn Youngkin. And I have to say, as soon as as soon as I saw the photo, I'm like, oh, well, that's obviously a pathetic and disgusting Democratic troll. Right. This is a very clumsy Democratic dirty trick. These are Democrats dressed up as the Tiki Torch racist guys to try to tie De- uh, Glenn Young into that. And they, oh, this is the same thing with like January 6th, right? Oh, it's this really serious, sacred day with this horrible, horrible event. And we, you know, it, it is so important for us to take it seriously. And I happen to agree that's true about January 6th and what happened in Charlottesville. And then they turn around and their people sully it and use it to launch false smears. So in this case, you've got the Tiki Torch posers in their little Halloween costumes, pretending that they're supporting Yunkin. And the and the McCall campaign is out there sharing this like it's real. Oh, it's disgraceful. It's disgusting. This is disqualifying for Glenn Yunkin. And I said, I will bet a thousand dollars these are Democrats. These are Democratic operatives doing this. It's obvious. Unless you're an absolute dumb, dumb, brain dead moron, this is obviously a Democratic stunt. So you had people sharing it earnestly, credulously. Oh, look at look at these racist Republicans. I said, well, okay, there's a couple uh, couple dead giveaways here, guys. And again, I've got a, a few tweets about this. You can read my piece at townhall.com. They're all wearing exactly the same uniform. They are wearing tiki, or they are holding these tiki torches. You get like at a cheap Hawaiian luau type thing in a backyard somewhere. They're holding tiki torches in the pouring rain at this event. And by the way, one of the five white supremacists, quote unquote, is black. It's a black dude. Like, you know, I don't I call me crazy. I don't think these are real white supremacists rallying for Glenn Youngkin, everyone. And lo and behold, some Internet sleuths have already started going through Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts, and it looks very much, based on photographic evidence, that two of these folks have been identified as officials with the Young Democrats of Virginia. Well, well, well. And the point of this, obviously, is to do what McAuliffe is doing, calling Youngkin a racist, calling parents racists, Eric Swalwell playing the race card, talking about the N-word. Now these Democratic operatives dressing up as white nationalists, posing as supporters for Glenn Youngkin, and the campaign pretending that it's real. I would not be shocked at all if it turned out the McAuliffe campaign coordinated this. Again, I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday, but this is the behavior of frantic, desperate losers. And boy, do I hope they lose and lose hard. On Tuesday night in Virginia. Turnout, turnout, turnout. But the polling is looking better. God, I'm scrolling through these photos. Yeah. Could they not have found a fifth person who wasn't black to pose as a white nationalist? Or do they have inclusion and equity requirements?
<laughs> Did they have right like a a requirement if you're going to do a, a nasty, dirty political stunt that there is a racial quota for equity? I wonder what what was the uh, the brain trust that thought this one through. One more thing about the McAuliffe campaign and their desperation and their flailing. We'll tell you about that as soon as we come back. We're just getting started on Friday. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. I was going to get to another story about Virginia, but I, I'm just calling an audible. I have to bring you more on this because this this stunt from the Democrats, which was obvious from the moment I saw the photo, these were Democrats doing this. It's actually really sick. Right? It's funny because they're so bad at it, but it's, it's sick what they're doing is they're calling Yunkin supporters and Yunkin white nationalists and racists and trying to tie them into what happened in Charlottesville. It's awful. But they showed up to, quote-unquote, support Yunkin, dressed as white nationalists. The McAuliffe campaign treated it as real, saying it was disqualifying for Glenn Yunkin. And it's turned out, some of the sleuthing has happened on the Internet, these people are, are Democrats. They're, they're connected to the Democratic Party of Virginia. I saw one line during the break on Twitter that made me laugh out loud. They had the, the photo of the, uh, the black guy that they have dressed up as one of the white nationalists, which, again, it seems like just a slight oversight in this overall harebrained scheme to have five white nationalists and, and one of them's black. So there was a shot of him just isolated. And I saw Chuck Ross from the Free Beacon said, this is very kind of Ralph Northam to campaign for McAuliffe this way. <laughs> oh, God, that's a good joke. Although, could it be Mark Herring? Another top Virginia Democrat who has confirmed, who has been confirmed to have worn blackface in his life. There's also a girl. One of the five is a girl. It looks like they found out who she is. She's involved with the Democratic Party of Virginia. She just tweeted about how divisive Glenn Youngkin is. And how he's been waging a culture war. And here she is dressed up as a white nationalist, posing as one of his supporters to cause trouble and some of these folks, as they're getting identified, whoop, they are protected. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Their tweets and going private on Instagram. Oopsies. Slow clap, everyone. Well executed again. It seems like a campaign that's doing well, doesn't it? We'll take a break. Talking immigration when we come back. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We continue here on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday, turning now from Virginia. And I have to admit, those two segments, uh, kind of enjoyable. Yeah, I said it. I liked it. Turning to immigration, though. And a story in the Wall Street Journal that I still can't quite believe it has not been denied by the administration. Let me just uh, read this to you from the Wall Street Journal. The Biden administration is in talks to offer immigrant families that were separated during the Trump administration around $450,000 per person in compensation, according to people familiar with the matter. As several agencies work to resolve lawsuits filed on behalf of parents and children who say the government subjected them to lasting psychological trauma. The U.S. Justice Department and Department of Homeland Security and Health and Human Services are considering payments that could amount to close to $1 million per family, though the final numbers could shift. The people familiar with the matter said, Most of the families that crossed the border illegally from Mexico to seek asylum in the U.S. included one parent and one child, the people said. Many families would likely get smaller payouts depending on their circumstances. The total potential payout, this is in the Wall Street Journal story, could be $1 billion or more. Okay, let's talk about this. If you're a longtime devotee of the show, first of all, thank you. We appreciate that. Back when the child separation policy, the family separation policy, was announced and implemented during the Trump administration, back during the days of Benson and Harf, when I had Marie Harf as a co-host, different show, different time slot, all the things. I was vocally opposed to it. Not because I want to be soft on illegal immigration. I've gotten, I think, more hardline as the Democrats and the, the ruling party has just abandoned almost any pretense of upholding our laws and sovereignty, which does offend me deeply. I think it's wrong. I think it's unsustainable. I think it's dangerous. I think it's unfair to the suckers and fools who actually go through the legal process. But I thought the policy as a matter of course, right, as the institutionalized policies of separating families at the border was needlessly cruel. I understood some of the rationale behind it because you had people posing with kids who weren't really their kids There was all sorts of stuff going on there. But to separate kids from their parents as a form of deterrence, I thought was not the right way to go. And on top of that, was also politically counterproductive. And sure enough, they scrapped the policy pretty quickly because there were people inside the administration arguing hard against it. And finally, the Trump administration relented and reversed. So I was not a fan of this particular tactic to begin with. I think that is worth me pointing out here in the context of this conversation. That being said, it is breathtaking. It is breathtaking 
that the Biden administration, although, again, I shouldn't be surprised, they are so fixated on their base, on the hardcore left, and on doing everything that is not Trump or anti-Trump. You know, if you had told me this was coming, I would have said, eh, it seems a little overboard. I'm not sure they would actually do that. But based on this Wall Street Journal report from multiple sources, they are in conversations, they are in talks to pay 450 grand per person who was traumatized by this Trump policy. $450,000 to every man, woman, and child impacted by this as some sort of potential settlement, like, oh, we're, we're so sorry. Again, I was against the policy for a number of different reasons on a number of different fronts. These folks are still individuals who made a decision to violate our laws, violate our sovereignty, and come to this country illegally. And I know a lot of them were claiming asylum, and they were getting guidance, by the way, that if you bring kids, it's easier to do that, or it's easier to get released into the country, have a better chance to stay. That is now on steroids under Biden and their policies. The idea that we're going to potentially taxpayers pay this money out just blows me away. Dan Crenshaw, a congressman from Texas, tweeted this. Biden wants to pay illegal immigrants $450,000 for their hardship while breaking our laws. For perspective, if a service member is killed in action, a U.S. service member killed in action, their next of kin generally gets an insurance payment of $400,000. Let that sink in. That phrase, let that sink in, is sometimes overused on social media. In my mind, this one applies. The Biden administration is actively in conversation to pay 450 grand per person traumatized by the hardline, one of the hardline immigration policies of the Trump administration. These people are not dead. These people are alive, awaiting, I guess, payment from Uncle Sam. Illegal immigrants for their trouble because the Biden team has decided that the previous administration had a policy that was inhumane. Now, you can agree that it was inhumane or disagree. I was against the policy, and I've explained that. But the payout that's being discussed for these illegal immigrants is higher than the next of kin insurance payment, according to Dan Crenshaw, for U.S. service members killed in action. Absolutely let that sink in. I mean, you see these headlines. The other story the other day that you know they've got the uh, gender equity plan here at the White House, and part of the gender equity plan is to eliminate cash bail for accused violent criminals, to eliminate it in the name of gender equity. You're like, wait, hang on. This Joe Biden, he, he was nominated as the moderate, right? He was elected supposedly as the moderate, right? Not the woke crazy. He was surrounded by woke crazy on the debate stage. And people said, no, let's go with him because we want to win. That stuff's a little extreme. He's governing like them. Right? That, that's like Babylon B satire stuff. White House gender equity plan calls for elimination of cash bail for accused violent criminals. What? 
The Biden administration to pay $450,000 for each illegal immigrant impacted by child separation or family separation policy. What? And then there's this, also on the subject of illegal immigration. We had mentioned how there was a Supreme Court ruling, and finally the Biden administration seemed to be looking at reality and confronting reality and saying, okay, we have to reimpose the Remain in Mexico policy. We don't like it. It's Trump. We got rid of it. It's been a total disaster for us. The way that we eliminated it has been ruled illegal by the Supreme Court, so we're going to put it back in November. Because the numbers are just awful. Like the border crisis statistics are are shocking. The numbers are historic in a bad way. So basically they were mugged by reality, mugged by their own failed policies and stupid overreach and knee-jerk reflexive anti-Trumpism. And they were going to reimpose Remain in Mexico, which was a succeeding element of the Trump immigration policy. And now it has been announced that they have filed another legal challenge where they're going to try to get out of it. CBS News, the Biden administration announces its second attempt to end a Trump-era border program that forced migrants to wait in Mexico for their asylum hearings, issuing a new termination memo that it hopes will pass legal muster. So it's going to go back to the courts here. But here he is again. Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS secretary, putting together a memo. Remember, he had a memo. We told you about this a few weeks ago. Saying that they were going to do even less enforcement internally in the United States. Fewer deportations. They were stopping workplace raids. They were adding new categories of additional crimes people can be convicted convicted of as illegal immigrants and then not prioritize for deportation. Deprioritizing anyone who had committed certain crimes or been convicted of certain crimes or hadn't committed other additional crimes, sort of like, if you come to this country illegally, we're not going to deport you. If you come to this country illegally and commit and are convicted of these crimes, we're not going to deport you. It's like they're just announcing all these different ways that they are not going to enforce the law. They are directly, in an ongoing and deliberate way, responsible for the border crisis. It is essential that you remember that. And that you don't just get mad about it now, but you remember this frustration a year from now. Here's a quote from Mayorkas in this uh, this memo that he put out. I recognize that Remain in Mexico likely contributed to reduced migratory flows, but it did so by imposing substantial and unjustifiable human costs on the individuals who were exposed to harm while waiting in Mexico. So translation there from Mayorkas, the top Homeland Security guy under President Biden, He's saying, yeah, okay, fine. We'll admit it. The Remain in Mexico policy worked. It was working. It was helpful. It was reducing illegal immigration. However, here's the big but, but it did so by imposing unfair costs on those individuals who were harmed while they waited in Mexico. Sounds like a perhaps a problem for Mexico. 
not a problem where the solution, quote unquote, is to get rid of a succeeding policy that by their own admission mitigated and significantly reduced the inflow of illegal immigrants into this country rather than just letting them in and having to detain them or letting them into the country with a court date down the line or something. They would have to wait in Mexico until they're often frivolous and thrown out claims of asylum were adjudicated in the United States, then they would either be deported back to their home country or, in relatively rare cases, allowed in because they were granted asylum, the refugee status. Biden came in, instantly threw that away, said, nope, we're not going to do that anymore. That's Trump, bad, 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 got rid of it. And among many other things, that signaled to the world, come on in. And they've been coming. million and a half people, a million and a half plus, closer to two million when you consider all the known gotaways. And they're looking at this and they're saying, okay, let's pay $450,000 to people who were traumatized by one of the Trump policies, 450,000 U.S. taxpayer dollars per illegal immigrant within that scheme. Let's announce publicly all the reduction in enforcement that we're doing in terms of like internal enforcement. They didn't have to defund ICE. They just had to defang ICE, basically just cutting off their power, cutting off their enforcement abilities, drastically reducing them. It's sort of like a soft defunding or elimination of ICE and enforcement. Again, I ask you, this is the moderate. This is the moderate, right, that they nominated. You said, oh, I got to unify. We're going to be a centrist uh, administration. We're going to bring people together, Republicans and Democrats. You know, I've done it before. All that BS from Joe Biden. He won because the American people believed they had enough of Trump and he was not as radical as the other ones. So he was a relatively safe bet. Well, look at this. How's that? How's that bet going? There's approval ratings in the toilet. Boy, has he earned that. And then, of course, this, the, the Remain in Mexico policy removal is such a tell in my book. It was a sensible, reasonable, succeeding policy negotiated with the Mexican government. They got rid of it instantly because it had Trump's name on it. And even though it's obviously a huge mistake to have gotten rid of it, they're being forced to fight in court to keep it again. And they're admitting in their own memo from DHS, from Mayorkas, yes, it worked but not in a fair way. So they want it gone again, and of course they won't build walls. They are strongly against walls, except for the walls that they just built at Biden's vacation place at the beach, where he spends seemingly all of his time, especially when things get really bad, drone some innocent kids in Afghanistan. Nope, off to the beach. Let's build a wall there at taxpayer expense. Fine, protect the president. Wall at the southern border? Oh, absolutely not. That's Trump. It's not our policy. It's inhumane. Have you noticed every form of enforcement, every form of handling this problem in their mind is inhumane? I know they bristle and get all angry when you call this open borders. What the hell else are you supposed to call it for crying out loud? I got a break. It is the Guy Benson show. Stay tuned. We're not done. The Guy Benson Show. More next. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. We're back here on the Guy Benson Show. Since we're talking about all the big, happy success that we're seeing under President Biden, here's a headline today from the Associated Press. U.S. consumer spending up a modest... 0.6% with inflation high. American consumers slowed their spending to a gain of just 0.6% in September, a cautionary sign for an economy that remains in the grip of a pandemic and a prolonged bout of high inflation. At the same time, a key inflation barometer that's closely followed by the Federal Reserve surged 4.4% last month from a year earlier, the fastest such increase in three decades. So we got the weak GDP number yesterday from last quarter coming in well under even the lower expectations of 2.5 or 2.6% growth. It was only 2% growth. Here we have consumer spending slowing with an inflation barometer year-over-year rising at the fastest pace in three decades. Seems like a great time to spend trillions in new spending on brand new programs, doesn't it? Seems like a great time to raise taxes on the American people and the American economy, doesn't it? This is what the Democrats are actively doing now. This is what's happening in the country. Inflation, red flags on the economy, Soft job market, shortages of labor and of goods. And the Democrats are like, you know what? Trillions in more spending and tax increases. That should do it. Ben Shapiro also makes a good point. He says the economy grew at a disappointing 2% in quarter three. The media blames the Delta variant. But if that were true, we should have seen widespread spikes in unemployment in the red states that suffered from the spike the most. And no serious economic growth there with serious economic growth in unaffected Delta variant states. Nope, that's not what happened. Huh, it's almost like there's a lesson here. Good point from Ben Shapiro. It's going great under Biden, isn't it, folks? Going great. Come on, man. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Our middle hour is now kicking off here on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Happy Friday. Happy almost Halloween. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All the ways to listen live there, one of which is Odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com, and many other avenues as well. If you can't listen live, which we encourage, there's a podcast on demand free every single day. Bonus Benson on the weekends. We just direct you to GuyBensonShow.com. Still to come, we've got Janice Dean on the show. We've got Julie Banderas. Looking forward to both of those conversations. Let's bring you a Fox News alert. 
The Dow ends up 89 points on the day, closing out in the green again. And as the markets closed in New York, the Dow finished today at 35,819. Joining me now is A.B. Stoddard, Associate Editor and Columnist at RealClearPolitics.com. A.B., welcome back. Thanks for having me, Guy. You a uh, Halloween fan? Are you a dress-up type of person or not really? (laughs) I got so into this when my kids were little. I grew up in New York City, and we, you know, had to ride up and down elevators to trick-or-treat. So um, I once I was living in the suburbs with a dog in a yard and three children, I went, crazy. I have so many decorations. I had parties with there were moon bounces. It was wild. Um, and now, uh, for the first time, all three kids are out of the house. I'm an empty nester. They've gone off to college, the last one, too. And I'm going to be sitting with a long face with my big candy bowl. It's um, <laughs> like, Welcoming the neighborhood children on Sunday. It's so weird. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's talk politics, A.B., You know, a few weeks ago, it was, gosh, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, the president went up to Capitol Hill. It was a Friday. There's a lot of buzz. Oh, the president's going. He's going to try to close the deal here. There must be momentum. They must have a game plan. They're going to vote on something. He's going to address the House Democrats. And then nothing. He Nothing got accomplished. They punted now for weeks on end. He didn't even make a hard sell, apparently, to the surprise of leadership at the time. And a lot of analysts who were predicting that day, well, they wouldn't send him all the way up there and they wouldn't put the prestige of the presidency on the line unless there was, you know, some choreography here. This is a sign that the deal's almost done. And then that wasn't the case. Well, he went back. He addressed Democrats again. And this time he he made a little bit more of a forceful case. And they wanted to get the infrastructure thing passed before he landed in Europe so he could show up, you know, with this victory. And then they looked around and they did the whip count. They realized, well, we. We don't have the votes again, so that got scuttled. They push it into next week. I still think eventually they're going to do something here, but the the rockiness of the trail here to get to some sort of victory has been pretty ugly for the Democrats, and it makes the leadership look pretty weak. It, in my view, makes the president look even weaker or almost sort of indifferent and nonchalant about the whole thing. What's your take on what we saw yesterday with, again, the raising of expectations only for nothing to happen again? I I agree with you, but I think I would use stronger language. Uh, I I mean, a couple things are going on. Yes, they all look weak. It's utter failure. And it's just going to get so much uglier in the days and weeks to come. It's not going to end on a high note. The fact that they've built up all this mistrust, the fact that they've allowed, you know, the radical faction to, to, to kind of run the show, all of this makes things end up in, you know, in worse shape, not better. Um, the fact that they didn't pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill that 19 Senate Republicans endorsed months ago that would get jobs in the pipeline immediately is a total failure. So yes, they could do it someday, but Piling it all up into, into Thanksgiving and December 3rd when we're facing a debt ceiling deadline and everything else, you know, potential government shutdown, is just a total mess, and they didn't have to do this. Um, I agree with you on the two visits. You, you, you don't do presidential visits to the Hill and then fail, and it, they've done it twice. 
But I want to give Nancy Pelosi credit here. She's always had a plan. She always knew what had to happen. And President Biden and his team rolled her twice, both on that Friday, whenever it was September 30th. When, remember when she put, she extended the, the, the actual calendar day of the yes. government from yes. a Thursday to a Friday? I think it was October 1. Then she said in her letter October 2 to her colleagues, look, we extended this surface transportation funding for another until Halloween, but let's get this, let's just put the hard infrastructure bill out and those jobs out into the system immediately. She, she was willing to tell the progressives get in line. And she tried again this week. President Biden, it's clear, and this was reported in Punchbowl News today, which had a very different take than Playbook, I will say, for people who are big, you know, your listeners who are reading at this granular level. He did not push the progressives. He's afraid of the progressives. He adopted a position a while ago, sometime in August or September, after really handling this sort of intra-party tension well for the first however many months of his administration while he was focused on COVID. Once he went to the mat, he let them run the show. And you can tell if you look from a kind of a macro level or down at the level where I have to pay attention to it, that he has let them uh, run this train and run the bipartisan framework off the rails. That is a, a done deal. It could have been signed into law. Well, and it's not a- just just to jump in. It's not just on this. It's just in general the way he's governing. This is not a moderate sort of center left Democratic administration. This is a progressive lefty administration on a whole host of issues. We just talked about immigration in the previous hour, and it's like I'm trying to figure out why his approval rating has not. Uh, looked great right it's gotten weaker and weaker the american people aren't thrilled with what they're seeing i think to put it mildly he's obviously sort of scared of the base but he won the nomination despite these types of people they didn't want him to be the nominee he won anyway because like normie democrats said no we want to beat trump this guy will be kind of center left that's what we want and then he won and republicans said oh he's a he's a you know careful trojan horse he's going to come in and be a, a far left you know guy and then he's doing that and i don't understand the calculus here who are the people i mean part of it's obviously him he's the president why are these decisions being made the way that they are yeah so i disagree with you on one point i don't think he's a progressive and i don't think he's a socialist i think he but what you said he's scared of the base that's that's where this is this is being driven by the fact the party is in a huge transition because they this man might not run for a second term so all these conversations that are taking place behind the scenes that are never on the record and never out in the media about how the party's in transition, they are going to lose the midterms, they potentially, they're going to lose the House, they potentially could lose the Senate, and the party's saying, what are you going to leave us with? You know, Vice President Harris is going to run. Where is this party going? They all make the case, you've got to go out guns blazing and you have to pass, pass all this transformative stuff, and we need to have our kitchen sink. All these different programs. So what you saw was five weeks ago, they were going to pass, we'll get to the border in a minute, that's a different issue than this economic agenda issue, which he wants to be his legacy, right? All these huge programs. So five weeks ago, the consensus is we've got to do a few things well and fund them for longer. Then the progressives beat him down and he lets them run the show and we end up with... Well, and and that's the thing, A.B., like you can we can dispute and we can debate, is he a progressive? Is he a moderate? What's in his heart? What would he prefer? Ultimately, it's the policy and the actions that matter in terms of how I'm going to characterize a presidency. 
And you know, maybe this guy was like a mainline center left Democrat for a lot of his career, really in a pretty liberal, but not way out there. If he's letting the harder left call the shots and, you know, they're they're putting out you know, gender equity plans and all this stuff. And you say, how would things look appreciably different if Elizabeth Warren were president outcomes wise? That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I see your point. I, and again, I in the end. I, I, we have to wait to see what actually comes out of this reconciliation, human infrastructure, social welfare program um, deal in the end, because I think it could also change another 200 times. But um, it is certainly um, it is. It, you are right that the leverage has shifted to the left uh, because he decided he was afraid of the base. Uh, and um, I think the party knowing they're going to face such steep losses next year is, is really in a freak out and does not have consensus well, on how to proceed. I, fa- I find it really fascinating that uh, Jim Clyburn, the assistant majority leader, uh, this week was quoted saying, it, like, the party has decided not to win. Like, they're not, fa- they're not, like, focused on winning elections. And that is a big question. I mean, that is tr- if, he, if he throws in his lot with Pramila Jaipal and the Progressive Caucus, are they trying to actually be a national party that wins elections, or are they just trying to, like, work for moveon.org? A.B. Stoddart, we have about two minutes left. You're talking about winning elections, and one that could be slipping away from them is the Virginia governor's race. This is a race that I've covered heavily. We had Glenn Youngkin on yesterday. I've already voted in the race. Uh, new Fox News poll has Youngkin ahead now by eight points, and the Washington Post poll has him down one. Two other polls out in the last day or two have Youngkin now in the lead, three or four points. Based on what you are seeing, based on what you are feeling in your experience, and based on what you are hearing from your sources, what is your read on where the Virginia gubernatorial contest stands today on this Friday with Election Day on Tuesday? Yeah, I think Youngkin's going to pull it out in a blue state that went for Biden by 10 points. He's going to have a great showing in Loudoun County, which I guess went for Biden by more than 20 points. Uh, It is going to come down to this issue of education, which is not all critical race theory. A lot of it is whether or not schools were closed and the teachers unions and COVID. Um, Absolutely. My reasons for why McAuliffe uh, didn't do a a good job on this campaign can come later. But I mean, you know, basically in the time we have, I, I, I would I would put my money on Youngkin. It's just all the movement, all the energy, all the, you know, the shift in the polls. It's not individual polls, right? It's the trend, the way the polls are trending. It's, it's all of it, right? It's, it's just totally. Doesn't, doesn't it's look good the fundamentals, aside from the blueness of the state, all the other fundamentals are cutting for Youngkin and the movement. You're exactly right. The trajectory and the trends in all of the polls are in one direction. And it's going to come down to turnout, though. Big, big turnout lift for the republicans it's doable it's tuesday ab stoddart at real clear politics ab thank you we'll be right back from the fox news podcasts network download and listen to the untold story with martha mccallum the host of the story on fox news channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com i'm guy benson glad to have you here so i want to talk taxes just briefly with you it may not be the most scintillating topic on a Friday, but just listen to this. It's from the Nonpartisan Tax Foundation. They've done some new analysis based on the new framework from the Democrats that they say they've got this deal, although they're still struggling with the vote counts and the sequencing and all of that. But the Tax Foundation ran the numbers, and here is their conclusion. Under the latest iteration, I'm quoting, under the latest iteration of the House Build Back Better Act, 
the average top tax rate on personal income, this includes state and local, would reach 57.4%, giving the United States the highest rate in the OECD, so the industrialized world. The highest rate. Currently, under current law, the U.S. average top rate is 42.9%, which is just a hair above the OECD average. Under the Democrats' plan, the U.S. goes from right smack in the middle, which is achieved, by the way, by the tax cuts and reform from Republicans a few years ago. They would shoot up to number one, and this is not a we're number one situation that we want. This would be it's the highest top tax rate on average in the entire industrialized world. They also want to raise taxes on businesses. As we mentioned, one of the proposals was to raise the business tax even higher than communist China's. President Biden said yesterday that this is about making America competitive. We played you the soundbite. This is about American competitiveness. No, it's not. This makes us less competitive than the rest of the world. A lot of S-corporations, small businesses, file as individuals, they get hammered with this new highest rate in the advanced world. Setting aside some of the specific and explicit tax increases that they have planned on businesses. So under this proposal, we would be number one. That is the opposite of competitiveness. We are making ourselves less competitive in order to spend a bunch of money, new spending, on all these programs that the Democrats are pretending the American people are clamoring for and crying out for. And actually, there's some polling. Amy Walter was writing about this. There's some polling that suggests what the Democrats are doing is really out of step with the top concerns now of voters. And the support for this thing, they can inflate some of the numbers, but it's quite soft. And really actually disintegrates in some ways when people are told about trade-offs, downsides, and priorities. But if President Biden wants to talk about competition, right, he's just saying all the things. He's saying that this is fiscally responsible to spend trillions of dollars. He's saying it's going to reduce inflation pressures. (laughs) He's saying it's going to create millions of jobs. Right, taxing job creators more. It's going to create millions of jobs, and it's going to not just be deficit neutral, zero dollars. It's going to be reducing the deficit. These are all the things that he said. Oh, yes, and it's all about competitiveness for the United States. And yet, this is the nonpartisan tax foundation analysis where we would go from middle of the road and average in the OECD at the top tax rate to the very top, which would impact, as I mentioned, some small businesses. You also have the corporate tax rates. Here's another point that I want to make. Before we move on, you might agree or disagree, but just from where I sit, I think it is wrong. I think it is immoral for any government to take 57.4% of someone's earnings. I don't care if you're a billionaire. I don't care if you're making nothing. The government should not be able to come in and confiscate more than half of what you earn. I'm not one of these abolish taxation people. I understand that we need to run a government and that costs money and there are certain core functions of the government that need to be funded and unfortunately the size and scope of government has expanded dramatically and there are certain expectations among most of the population. I'm a realist. I think the government 
has or should have enough money for what they actually need in terms of spending, but what they want to spend is so much higher, and so they just do it. And to try to justify some of this and make all the numbers work, they're like, oh, well, let's just demonize a certain class of people, and if government at various levels need to come in and eat away at the money that they make to the point that they end up keeping 43% of their earnings, for every dollar the government takes 57 cents out of it, I don't think that's okay. I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's fair. We hear about fairness all the time. Fair shares. Is 57% a fair share? I don't think so. Of course, the richest people have lawyers and accountants and all sorts of ways to try to shelter some of their money from taxation, like the Bidens do, for example. And all sorts of people do it. Not everyone has that ability. And once you start raising taxes to justify ever-expanding government, as we've seen elsewhere across the world, there's just not enough money with the super rich. Or even the mostly rich. And then all of a sudden becomes a little bit less rich. And all of a sudden it's you. That's the way this works. Competitiveness. That's what the president says. It's not what the numbers say. The Guy Benson Show returns after this break. Janice Dean will be here. Looking forward to that. Don't go anywhere. Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. Back here on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday to all of you. Almost Halloween, for those of you who are big Halloween people. I think our next guest might be. Let's get to her. Janice Dean, senior meteorologist at Fox News, New York Times bestselling author. You can check out her latest book, Make Your Own Sunshine, available everywhere. And Janice, great to have you back. Oh, Guy, thank you for having me. Yes, Halloween is coming. <laughs> so no sunshine for me here in the Windy City. I'm in Chicago. It's been dreary and rainy, uh, but I'm excited to see some friends tonight. So I'm in high spirits. Are you a big Halloween gal? I do love Halloween and probably because I, you know, I have kids and they are great ages for Halloween costumes, 10 and 12. And, you know, I have to admit that I think I've always enjoyed Halloween getting dressed up, especially with Fox and Friends every year. We used to you know, we used to get the costumes. This year we didn't, um, but we certainly had the parade of, of little ones in their costumes today. Do you have a costume plan for the weekend, or is that really just the kids? <laughs> you know, I haven't put one together. Last year I, I was like a Victorian, uh, what do you call them, like a, a, a Victorian woman, you know, with the big, the big white um, Like the collar type thing. The, Exactly, and and my Downton Abbey was action. <laughs> even maybe even before that, uh, and that was great fun. But I always have a fallback of the witch's costume, which I'll probably don on Sunday. I think that's probably how the Cuomo folks view you in real life, <laughs> right? I think that's that's, that's probably what they think of you, and it is a transition into this story 
is reported in the New York Times yesterday and went everywhere. I saw you were tweeting about it. Some misdemeanor charges coming against the former governor, who, of course, resigned not too long ago, partially because of the efforts that you've been a part of, partially because of all these allegations against him. You mostly went after him on the nursing home stuff, of course. But I was skeptical that we would see any sort of criminal charges against Andrew Cuomo. But now one has dropped. His team is putting out a furious statement saying that this is misconduct by the prosecutor, misconduct and corruption by the attorney general, who is likely to be running for governor now. They're saying this is all a big political setup to get him out of the way. Give us your overall take on these developments, what you think of them and where you think this is all going. Well, I just found out right now that Tish James has dropped her first video for governor. So she will be running for governor of New York next year. Uh, so that's breaking news. And listen, I think you and I have had discussions that there is no doubt that this woman has wanted to run for governor and that probably fueled uh, some of her investigations or wanting to, you know, do some of these investigations against this man who doesn't really have a lot of friends, by the way, in New York. Uh, maybe Rich as a party who, you know, he's still got him working for him. He's the spokesperson that, you know, told me I wasn't a credible source on anything except maybe the weather. Right. Um, but, okay, so we did have a criminal charge drop yesterday. Uh, and I guess to see the people of New York versus Andrew Cuomo, that was a moment. I mean, I, I enjoyed seeing that moment. Is it going to stick? Is he going to do a perp walk? Will he be handcuffed? Will he be thrown no. in jail? I don't think so. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's a start, I suppose. And there is some weirdness around this particular charge, it seems. But, and here's the thing, I think you're right. I think it's hard to conclude that Letitia James did not have any sort of ambition and that her decisions were not affected whatsoever about her political future and that sort of thing. On the other hand, she did not invent any of these things that Cuomo did, right? So there's the responsibility that he has in all of this. And it kind of reminds me in some ways, Janice, of course, you want to see justice to be served. You want to see the facts to prevail regardless of where they go. But when you were on this show all the time talking about the nursing home scandal and the deaths in nursing homes and the cover up in particular and the endless lies about those deaths and about the cover up. And then the Me Too stuff started to emerge really in earnest against Governor Cuomo. I asked you. Does it bother you at all that he might go down because of this set of malfeasance as opposed to this other one that you've been beating the drum on? And you were like, no, as long as he goes down, whatever gets us there is what gets us there. And I kind of have the same feeling about this a little bit like, you know, if Letitia James were at least even subconsciously thinking about her future, which partially maybe played into her decision making process in recent months you know that may not be a great look for her i have no idea what the truth is there but ultimately i don't really care because he did what he did mm -hmm. agreed and i still you know stand by that statement i don't care what brings him down the old al capone thing you know the the tax evasion right instead right. of the real nitty-gritty stuff but it's a good reference it's a good reference because i'm here in chicago 
Right now, I could walk over to, what is it, Union Station, and I watch the baby carriage go down step by step from the Untouchables. Great movie. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. No, uh, and I appreciate that tangent there because I love that movie. But it's the same Fabulous. thing. It doesn't matter what they get him on. I don't care. Um, but I don't want people to forget the the really awful stuff. Listen, you know, right. I wrote an op-ed on foxnews.com yesterday. You know, the same hands, those filthy hands that were on that woman's breast, which I believe happened, also has tremendous amount of blood on them from, you know, helping kill thousands of seniors because of his mandate to put infected patients in the nursing homes. And not just a few of them, 9,000 of them. Um, so, and there are investigations and every single day, Guy, I am going to go on social media and tweet at, you know, the speaker, Carl Heasty here in New York, because they are supposed to release the impeachment information. You know, they were having impeachment investigations uh, mm -hmm. a few months ago. Of course, right. he resigned, Cuomo resigned, so they dropped the impeachment, but he promised us, New Yorkers, that our taxpayer dollars that funded that impeachment investigation, that was going to be released. It was supposed to be released this month. And they're stonewalling and they're sitting on it. And that that makes me furious because that's the way New York operates. And I'm sick of it. Release the information. Give us the investigations. Uh, because until you do that, it's unfinished business. Yep. And the thing is, this reminds me of some of the other conversations we've had on these fronts over the course of many months. There were a number of governors who made the terrible decision to force long-term care facilities and nursing homes to accept infected, right, actively contagious senior citizens into these homes, which then spread the virus like wildfire. And you had so many needless deaths based on such a terrible decision Again, made by Cuomo, but others as well. Cuomo stands alone in that he covered it up. They tried to whitewash the whole thing. They cooked the books and manipulated the data. I mean, the cover-up in that case really was worse than the crime, even though the bad decision did absolutely contribute to needless suffering and death. You could at least chalk it up to a good-faith mistake but when the cover-up began, that is when the good-faith argument just completely was eviscerated. And I think it's important to always talk about that and always remember that element of it. And I feel like once the women came forward and once that firestorm really got going, right, and, and that whole conflagration was being fueled, a lot of folks just looked away from the nursing home matter. It was in the background. People would talk about it occasionally. But this was the way they were going to get Cuomo. And they did. And down he went. And now there's a criminal charge at play. But it is absolutely critical, as you say, to not lose sight of the issue that you're so passionate about because of the loved ones that you lost. Have you heard from any of your sources, because you're obviously super plugged in on all of this stuff, about the status of that investigation or the status of those documents and what they were able to find? Or is it just kind of unknown, a mystery right now? with those papers locked away in a drawer somewhere. It's a mystery right now. Uh, and I think I talked to you, I, I met with Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, uh, a few weeks ago. And I, I had a glimmer of hope when we met with her that she, you know, was going to look at what we wanted and, and look into the things that she could do to try to help. And I left that meeting thinking, wow, you know, she seems like, you know, she wants to do something. And, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, err on the side of hopeful. And since then, 
it's been crickets. And she also mentioned that investigation by the assembly that was supposed to be, you know, um, we were supposed to get details on that this month. Every How long ago was that? By, Janice, when that did you meet with a, the new governor? That was about two and a half weeks ago. Okay. So um, are you giving her, you know, a little bit of breathing room? Like, is there a time in your mind where you feel like there should be an answer? Because it sounds very much like you're growing impatient, and I can't really blame you. I'm impatient, and and I and I sort of let everyone know that uh, that follows me on social media. Yes. You know, I haven't. <laughs> it's I have pretty open. <laughs> to, you know, uh, to to a fault maybe at some at some <laughs> points, but that's my only way, right? You know, like that's my only way of of telling people who are interested in the story. And so, even though social media can be a really awful place, it's also been such a helpful place for me because. I'm able to go on there and people follow me. Listen, I, I have more people that follow me from upstate New York than probably anywhere across the country. You know, people want to know this story. This is important. And we have an election next year uh, for governor of New York. And that has to be an important election. And if she is just somebody who sits there and smiles and is a very good politician, she's not going to get my vote. You know, she is not because she really did give us some promises in that room. And if she doesn't deliver when when many of us were crying, I mean, it was such an emotional event to have my husband there and be able to, for the first time, really talk about what it was like losing his parents and not having any idea of this terrible, fatal mandate that was put in place. Uh, you know, it was my God, we, we bared our souls to this woman. And if she doesn't do anything after that, I mean, that, you know, that, yeah. that's not we'll a good see. look. But Janice Dean is putting Governor Hochul officially on notice, it sounds like. Janice, I do want to ask you about a completely separate subject that you and I discussed recently. It's the new Fox Weather service, the new Fox Weather app. It was about to launch, right? So we talked a few days before launch. I had seen a few stories about how successful the launch has been in terms of the appetite and the demand for this app. What can you tell us about the early days of the Fox Weather app? It went really well. I mean, incredible. Uh, the response was amazing. I, I've been watching it since its launch, and it's just an amazing service. I mean, you know, the app itself, the radar is fabulous, uh, so you know, to be able to see inside of a storm with 3D radar, that's very cool, uh, even if you're not a weather nerd. But also to be able to input a, a specific date that you have a wedding or, or a special event like a Christmas party with Guy Benson and his mm, lovely uh, Just hypothetically. <laughs> so if there's, if there's a Christmas party and we're outdoors caroling uh, in and around the D.C. area, you can put that, you know, you can put that date in. And it'll give you an updated forecast where and when you need it. So I'm really, I'm really impressed uh, with with everyone and everything that's been involved in this app. And, uh, you know, it, it looks great. And I, and I know that we're going to be more involved. I know that I'm going to be poking my head in on, on some of the broadcasts that you can see streaming on your app, which is available right now. It's free. And it was number one on iTunes and all of the places that you get your apps. So definitely people are interested. Uh, I think it has huge potential. And, you know, definitely to have the Fox brand behind it is pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Janice, I do have to tell you, I know it's not even Halloween yet, but as we look ahead to the Christmas party, you mentioned caroling. We're not going to have caroling at the Christmas party. And I don't want the issue is I don't want a noise complaint. 
And this is the thing. Producer Christine is likely to be at this party. It's not that we would be too loud, but if she gets singing, I don't want a bad noise complaint from a neighbor, perhaps who isn't invited. So the caroling is going to have to be on your own time. Just a forewarning for you. Maybe the lead up, the lead up to the party. <laughs> you go caroling all your way to the house and then, <laughs> and then no more singing. Oh, Janice Dean, always great to have you here. Senior meteorologist at Fox. Her most recent best-selling book, Make Your Own Sunshine. Janice, great stuff as always. Have a great weekend. Happy Halloween. Looking forward to seeing all the photos on your social media. And we'll talk again soon. Love you, buddy. Thank you so much. Take care. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. It's the Guy Benson Show from Chicago today. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast always free. Well, I saw this. It was a video put out by one of our regular guests here on the show, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, Republican from right here in Illinois, made an announcement today. Here's part of it. Cut 20. In 2009, I returned from Iraq and made a decision that ran in the face of all odds and sanity. I would challenge an incumbent in a seemingly unwinnable race for Congress. At that time, I was spurred to run by my conviction of our role in the world. Somehow I won, and I'll never forget that campaign, the excitement of election night and a new majority, and those supporters who reminded me to be my own man and to never do what they tell you to do, but do what's right. I stand tall and proud knowing that I have done just that. I also remember during that campaign saying that if I ever thought it was time to move on from Congress, I would. And that time is now. Adam Kinzinger will be retiring from his seat in the House of Representatives after this upcoming election. And there are a few factors here that jump out. I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, he was very vocally anti-Trump. He voted for the impeachment. He's on this January 6th commission with Liz Cheney and these Democrats. And so he couldn't win a Republican primary. So he's heading for the exits. And we've seen that from some other folks as well. Right. Including Anthony Gonzalez in Ohio. I think that's definitely part of it. I think another very significant contributor is the redistricting and the gerrymandering here in Illinois. Democrats control this state. I love how Democrats always whine and complain about gerrymandering. Oh, it's such a terrible part of our process and our institutions are broken, right? Our institutions are always broken unless they are working in the service of power for the Democratic Party, right? So you don't hear a bunch of belly aching about the brutal gerrymandering that is attempted or achieved by Democrats in like, let's say, New York or Maryland or Illinois. You should see the new district map that they have drawn up in the state of Illinois. And they took Kinzinger's district and they combined it with another Republican district. I'm looking at it right now. It is just insane the way it is shaped. It's, it does not resemble anything that is remotely practical. It's obviously political. Crickets from the usual people who are upset about this sort of thing. And therefore, one of these Republicans was going to be basically redistricted out of having a district. So you combine that, what the Democrats have done, with some of the other dynamics here involving the party and Trump 
And this was the decision made by Kinzinger, who saw the writing on the wall. Perhaps we'll get him back on the show to talk about it. I don't always agree with him. I sometimes strongly do, sometimes do not. I think he's a sharp, smart guy. And, I mean, I'm just looking at this map, this redistricting map. I mean, he he didn't stand a chance. (laughs) And that's the whole point. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show from Illinois, Chicago specifically. As soon as we come back, Julie Banderas will be here in the happy hour. You don't want to miss it next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Friday happy hour now on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday, one and all, from Chicago, Illinois. Delighted to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast free every day, on demand, no charge to you. That includes bonus Benson on the weekends. We also encourage you to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every day. And this hour, as always, sponsored by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. It is so good. It is delicious. They now have variety packs that they have unveiled in a number of select states so far you can try the different flavors and varieties of long drink i recommend all of them although the white can is my favorite personally thelongdrink.com thelongdrink.com always drink responsibly 21 plus only please i am pleased to welcome to the show a colleague here at fox news an anchor at fox news channel julie banderas joins us julie hello hi how are you I am doing very well. You know, I was just thinking about this before the show, because over the last few weeks, we've had a lot of our colleagues on. We've been talking about their Fox News journeys because we've been talking about this 25 year anniversary for the news channel. First of all, how long have you been at Fox News? My whole life, because I'm only 20. So uh, <laughs> let's see, I started when I was three. No, I, I 16 years total, which I actually did the math today. And I'm not I'm, I actually suck at math. So it actually took me years to figure this out. But I've been at Fox for 16, 18 years in New York City, which in my head, I was like, that's birth to 18 years when I took off for college. So I've basically been here for more than half my life. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> long, cool career that you've had at Fox. And I just had a question, and I think I'm remembering this correctly, but I'm not fully convinced. Before you joined Fox News, were you at Fox 5 in New York? Yes. So that's how I started here. I started in 2002, actually, um, shortly after 9-11. I actually came to New York City and then I worked at Fox 5 for three years. And then in 2005, Roger Ailes brought me over to Fox News Channel. And that's where I've been ever since. And I cannot believe I'm hitting 16 years. I think it's like this January. Okay, so now that you have confirmed that, I am now feeling confident to relay the story that we met when I was in high school. I'm now remembering this for sure. We met when I was in high school. You were a reporter locally for Fox 5 in New York, and they assigned you to a story in my hometown, Ridgewood, New Jersey. There was a job action, something with the teachers union. There was negotiation you know, happening with the school board and whatnot as they were trying to come to 
terms on a new contract and they had walked out and there was this whole big thing and Fox five sent you out to Ridgewood and I met you unless I am hallucinating that. Do you remember that assignment or they all just blur together? No, you remembered it perfectly fine. And yeah, I mean, what's crazy is that that is how long I've been here. And the fact that you're basically young enough to be my son, which really, well, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. I mean, yeah, but still, I mean, either way you, (laughs) I I can't believe I met you when you were in high school. Like, how was that possible? And I I think it was my senior year. Oh my God. Yeah. So, well, okay. But in my defense, I was really young back then. So we were really close in age. I mean, okay. Yeah. We'll just, we're going to go. Yep. We're going to go with that. And I remember being like, Oh, cool. And you're doing your live hits from Ridgewood, you know, with the van and that whole thing and the little, you know, antenna goes up and all of that. And then I remember you popped up on Fox news channel. I was like, Oh wait, I think I met her just a few years ago. Now here we are together on the radio. Now we've been on TV together a few times, including recently, relatively recently, you were on outnumbered. I was the one lucky guy that day. And there was a big breaking news story involving a news conference in this Gabby Petito case that I had only sort of very basic cursory knowledge of, but you knew every little thing about that case as it was unfolding. And this is a story that, of course, has captured the attention of so much of the country. We reported just a number of days ago that they appear to have found the remains, the body of the boyfriend in this case. I assume you've kept up with everything. What's your overall read? Like, what is your theory of the case? And is the case with his body being discovered, in your mind, kind of closed at this point? I mean, yes, it's closed although the family needs closure. So while the investigation is closed, he was the only person of interest and most recently named as a suspect in the death of Gabby. Um, The family has no closure, and that's, in the end, the most devastating part. They found one of his journals that was inside a dry bag. A dry bag is basically like a nylon waterproof bag that you fold at the top and you clip it, and it keeps water from getting inside the bag. So that most likely was preserved if that journal was indeed in there. Maybe he has some words in there, I'm hoping, for Gabby's family that will give them some sort of explanation as to what happened. But, I mean, he's clearly the only person of interest. He's the only suspect in this case and the only person that could actually offer up any explanation as to what the heck happened um, and why they're both dead. We will move on to a happier subject, Julie, because it's such a sad story with just this really gut-wrenching conclusion, particularly for the Petito family, of course. So let's, because it's Friday and it is the happy hour, shift our attention to the holiday coming up on Sunday. We had Janice Dean on earlier. We're talking about Halloween, and she was saying that her kids will dress up. She doesn't really have a costume this year. She had one last year. Are you a big Halloween person or not really? Well, to be honest, when I was a young person, like child, yes, big into Halloween. Was I one of those adults that used Halloween as an excuse to dress up as a whore? No. But then once I had children, that is a whole different story. You know, I have guys installing a carpet who just met me as they just walked in and actually overheard me say dressing up as a whore as I'm standing in the middle of my empty car. And they're uh-huh. laughing in the back. Anyway, yeah, some, some heads um, were turned. Well, I mean, but that is. Well, you're in, you're in your maid costume, you're aren't you? You're in your, you're in your French maid costume right now, aren't you? Oh, my God. Totally. 
literally was like a duster in me. I, how did you know? And you should see the size of my platform heels are amazing. Um, but yes, I started dressing up when I started having kids and I'm actually really big. If people go on my Instagram, you'll see all the pictures of doing family themed costumes. And I go all out like I'm talking and I and I don't dress in sexy costumes. I should make that clear. Once I was a pig and three, you know, the three, the three pigs and the big bad wolf. Another time I was the Wicked Witch of the West. I actually put prosthetics on my chin and nose and covered myself in green. So every Halloween costume of mine is as unsexy as possible. What is your Instagram handle? Um, it's at Jules Bidwell. At Jules Bidwell. So it's Jules J-E-W-E-L-S-B-I-D-W-E-L-L. And the reason for that is because my name, my legal name, I don't know if you know this, like a Guy Benson exclusive is big. It is Sanders. Uh, you know, know. I, I had I had put that together actually. I'm I'm not the sharpest tack in the drawer, but you know that was my suspicion as soon as you said it. Well, I'll have to look that up and maybe uh, double tap some of those photos from years past. What about the kiddos? Like, what is the parental process of Halloween costumes for kids? And at what age? Because this is the other thing that I'm trying to remember when I was a kid. At what age do you go from what your parents decide you have to be to the kids calling the shots about what they want to be? That's a really good question, and it all depends on who your parent is. So for, like, the average parent, I'm sure that 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds have a say, but I'm not that kind of parent. My kids have a say in nothing in their lives. Quite frankly, <laughs> they're lucky that I allow them to go to the bathroom on their own. So, I mean, I'm not that a helicopter parent, but I'm a little bit of a control freak and the children i've groomed and trained to be very you know they're very open and receptive to to my plans they love every costume i come up with and i'm hoping that continues when they start dating because um that's going to be you know i'm going to have to select them all um like i do halloween costumes how old are the kids they are five eight and eleven okay so So, you know the the dating might start right some awkward dates, you know, middle school dates might be around the corner for that oldest one. Oh, no, 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 no. I've heard there will be eight gold monitor bracelets involved once they turn 18. There will also never be a moment in their lives where they ever ride in the car with anyone else other than adults or myself. Mm. And it, it, the list goes on. I'm like that parent you never, ever want. I'm, I'm like yeah, that, that parent. That sounds like fun. You're sounding like a, a really super fun parent. Is that how your parents were? Or are you just controlling well, naturally the thing. my parents were very strict but like not very um let's just say naive they were very naive and so i used to get away with murder and so unfortunately my kids will never pull anything because i know every trick in the book i used to which is so oh. awful that i did this to my mother no it's not a, it, i was terrible so i hope to god it doesn't bite me in the you know where but um I used to sneak out a lot. Um, I don't know if my parents didn't know what an alarm system was back then, but I used to sneak out and lie to my parents. I grew up in Singer Island, Florida. We lived on the ocean, um, across the street from the ocean. And I used to tell my parents, and believe it or not, she, my mom believed me, which is so sad, and she's going to hear this later. Um, that's going to be awkward. But I used to tell her I was going to get up early in the morning to meet my friends to go watch the sunset at 5.30 in the morning. So I would leave my house at about 11.30, 12 o'clock. Well, the sun, the sunrise, I assume. You're going to go see I the sunrise. sunrise. I'm sorry, I drank a lot. If she, if, she cool was bu- if she was buying the sunset, then, then she was even more naive than I thought. She's really naive. Yeah, so I'd get up <laughs> to go see the sunrise. So I would leave at like 1 o'clock in the morning. I'd walk in the door at like 7 o'clock. She's like, how was it? How was it, sweetie? How was the sunrise? I'm like, oh, it was beautiful. And then I'd go home and go to sleep and sleep the entire afternoon. And oh, that's that, the kind of high school student I was. It was awful. Yeah. Oh, I would never, ever dream 
I've I've gotten in so much trouble, and my parents would have never bought any of that. But I mean, were you the oldest? Where are you in the birth order? I am actually the oldest of two. So yeah, okay. I was a terrible influence on my sister, and she ended up being a lot better in school and just an overall better person growing up. I think <laughs> because I traumatized her. Um, I was like the example of all the things not to do, which is interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, but with that said, I learned a lot and I also learned how to be a better parent because, and I'm not saying my parents weren't good parents, but I'm saying I am very savvy and I know what to look for. And I also know that you can come to me, you can talk to me, you don't restrict your kids from everything, like let them eat, you know, junk every once in a while. You can't restrict from from all of that because then they're going to end up becoming, you know, hoarders like myself where I used to take food and like smuggle it in my bedroom (laughs) and eat. I mean, it was disgusting. I wasn't allowed to even take a popsicle out of the freezer without permission. So you have to give your kids some, you know, freedom or they're going to end up becoming tyrants. I want to ask you about one last subject, because I've seen that you've made some comments on this recently. And I think it's interesting. We've covered the Dave Chappelle thing and the whole controversy. And I was applauding Netflix for standing up for him. The CEO kind of walked it back a tiny bit by, oh, I should have been more sensitive or whatever. But he didn't reverse his decision, which I think is the most important thing here. Chappelle is just adamantly refusing to be canceled. He's like, you can come at me. I don't care. He is being canceled from certain gigs. And I guess some people aren't calling him back. And I guess some film he was making, a bunch of people were interested. And then all of a sudden, the interest dried up. He's Chappelle, so he'll be fine. It does worry me a little bit about what the lesson is for younger comedians coming up, like what it takes to succeed. You better not cross certain people, certain taboo subjects you can't joke about, which is really the whole point of comedy. Here's a little bit of what he said. He really made he made a video basically throwing down the gauntlet again. It's this ongoing kind of feud. Here's part of what he said in Cut 18. To the transgender community, I am more than willing to give you an audience, but you will not summon me. I am not bending to anybody's demands. And if you want to meet with me, I'd be more than willing to, but I have some conditions. (laughs) First of all, you cannot come if you have not watched my special from beginning to end. You must come to a place of my choosing and a time of my choosing. And thirdly, you must admit that Hannah Gatsby is not funny. (laughs) Hannah Gatsby, a comedian who just does these like left wing lectures now. So that's Chappelle defiant. Julie, I know you have some thoughts on this. I'll give you the last word on it. I mean, listen, I... I take everything with a grain of salt. And when it comes to comedy and comedians, I, I tend to side mostly with comedians because that is their job. I don't take anything seriously from any comedian. When they get politics involved, it is part of their job. And a lot of these comedians are very political these days. But do you take offense to it? Do we believe that that's how he personally feels every word that comes out of his mouth? No, they are delivering um, a, a, a comedic message that resonates with people who have a sense of humor. And if you don't have a sense of humor, then don't watch Dave Chappelle. Exactly. And if you don't like it, you have other choices. You can go watch Hannah Gadsby and sit there stone-faced for an hour if you want to. If that's your jam, go for it. So freedom, freedom of speech, 
freedom of expression, freedom of choice to decide what you think is funny, and just leave people alone, especially when it comes to comedy. I think that you and I are in agreement on that. We'll have to do this again, Julie Banderas, but I know that you're up on a bit of a hard out here because you've got these people, I guess, moving your was it your carpets or something? And it's got to be precarious walking around in those in those heels in the maid outfit. So I'll let you get back to all of that. There's still some dusting that needs to be done. So until next time, Julie Banderas, we appreciate your time. Love you, Guy. <laughs> happy Halloween. It's Friday on The Guy Benson Show, and the happy hour rolls on after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. As I've mentioned a few times, I'm here in Chicago. And on my way to the studio here, I'm at the Fox Bureau in Chicago. And on my way to the studio, I stop by the 7-Eleven on the corner. To get, you guessed it, a Coke Zero. That's what I do. And as I was getting ready to pay, I had a Coke Zero in hand. I had a bottle of water as well. This guy just very casually walks into the store, grabs a case of some booze, and walks out. And the woman behind the counter starts sort of shouting at him, Excuse me, sir, sir, excuse me. He completely ignored all of it. And he was on a mission. He just waltzed right out of there with this booze. And the other employee who was in the store, who's a very diminutive, very slight woman of color, she kind of chased him out onto the street briefly, and she was yelling. But, you know, tiny and petite, this was a big guy. And she turned around awfully quickly. There's nothing she could do. I didn't see where he went. By the time I was out on the street, he was gone. So my guess is he got into a car. But just uh, some casual shoplifting at the 7-Eleven at 11 a.m. on a Friday in Chicago, right in the middle of downtown. And while this was happening, I looked at the cashier, the one who was at first, you know, sounding the alarm, and I said, should I do something? Should I call the police? And she just shook her head. She said, don't go after him. It's, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she just shrugged, and then she rung me up, and I paid for my stuff, and I left. I'd be surprised if they even called the police. We had this story that we relayed to you the other day about this gang shooting where they caught the people, where people were shot and they didn't even charge the shooters. And this is like some mutual bullet exchange. It was some crazy thing. It became a big controversy here in Chicago. If that's what the prosecutor is doing in Cook County, the likelihood that they're going to be all over some casual shoplifting of some booze out of 7-Eleven, this is... What is happening? It's not just San Francisco. It's other cities as well. I had not just witnessed it with my own eyes. The brazenness, the casual nature of it, I was just like almost frozen. I was like, I, did that just happen? Yes, it did. A sad thing to see. And in case you're curious, no, the person stealing a bunch of booze did not meet the description of producer Christine. For all I know, based on my understanding, she is in New Jersey, not here in Chicago. This was a different suspect. I'm confident of that. The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour continues as soon as we return. Stay with us. Guy Benson. Happy Hour on a Friday here on The Guy Benson Show. Earlier today, we spoke with A.B. Stoddard of RealClearPolitics.com, the mess on Capitol Hill for Democrats. 
the wheezing, flailing Biden presidency, the election in Virginia coming up on Tuesday. We hit a bunch of topics. Here's part of my conversation with A.B. Stoddard. Uh, Let's talk politics, A.B. You know, a few weeks ago, it was, gosh, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, the president went up to Capitol Hill. It was a Friday. There's a lot of buzz. Oh, the president's going. He's going to try to close the deal here. There must be momentum. They must have a game plan. They're going to vote on something. He's going to address the House Democrats. And then nothing. He Nothing got accomplished. They punted now for weeks on end. He didn't even make a hard sell, apparently, to the surprise of leadership at the time. And a lot of analysts who were predicting that day, well, they wouldn't send him all the way up there and they wouldn't put the prestige of the presidency on the line unless there was, you know, some choreography here. This is a sign that the deal's almost done. And then that wasn't the case. Well, he went back. He addressed Democrats again. And this time he he made a little bit more of a forceful case and they wanted to get the infrastructure thing passed before he landed in Europe so he could show up, you know, with this victory. And then they looked around and they did the whip count. They realized, well, we we don't have the votes again. So that got scuttled. They push it into next week. I still think eventually they're going to do something here. But the the rockiness of the trail here to get to some sort of victory has been pretty ugly for the Democrats. And it makes the leadership look pretty weak. It, in my view, makes the president look even weaker or almost sort of indifferent and nonchalant about the whole thing. What's your take on what we saw yesterday with, again, the raising of expectations only for nothing to happen again? I I agree with you, but I think I would use stronger language. Uh, I I mean, a couple things are going on. Yes, they all look weak. It's utter failure. And it's just going to get so much uglier in the days and weeks to come. It's not going to end on a high note. The fact that they've built up all this mistrust, the fact that they've allowed, you know, the radical faction to, to, to kind of run the show, all of this makes things end up in, you know, in worse shape, not better. Um, the fact that they didn't pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill that 19 Senate Republicans endorsed months ago that would get jobs in the pipeline immediately is a total failure. So yes, they could do it someday, but Piling it all up into into Thanksgiving and December 3rd when we're facing a debt ceiling deadline and everything else, you know, potential government shutdown is just a total mess. And they didn't have to do this. Um, I agree with you on the two visits. You, you, you don't do presidential visits to the Hill and then fail. And it, they've done it twice. But I want to give Nancy Pelosi credit here. She's always had a plan. She always knew what had to happen. And President Biden and his team rolled her twice, both on that Friday, whenever it was September 30th. When, remember when she put, she extended the, the, the actual calendar day of the yes. government from yes. a Thursday to a Friday? I think it was October 1. Then she said in her letter October 2 to her colleagues, look, we extended this surface transportation funding for another until Halloween, but let's get this, let's just put the hard infrastructure bill out and those jobs out into the system immediately. She, she was willing to tell the progressives get in line, and she tried again this week. President Biden, it's clear, and this was reported in Punchbowl News today, which had a very different take than Playbook, I will say, for people who are big, you know, your listeners who are reading at this granular level. 
He did not push the progressives. He's afraid of the progressives. He adopted a position a while ago, sometime in August or September, after really handling this sort of intra-party tension well for the first however many months of his administration while he was focused on COVID. Once he went to the mat, he let them run the show. And you can tell in, if you look from a kind of a macro level or down at the level where I have to pay attention to it, that he has let them uh, run this train and run the bipartisan framework off the rails. That is a, a done deal. It could have been signed into law. Well, and it's not a- just just to jump in. It's not just on this. It's just in general the way he's governing. This is not a moderate sort of center left Democratic administration. This is a progressive lefty administration on a whole host of issues we just talked about immigration in the previous hour and it's like i'm trying to figure out why his approval rating has not looked great right it's gotten weaker and weaker the american people aren't thrilled with what they're seeing i think to put it mildly he's obviously sort of scared of the base but he won the nomination despite these types of people They didn't want him to be the nominee. He won anyway because, like, normie Democrats said, no, we want to beat Trump. This guy will be kind of center left. That's what we want. And then he won. And Republicans said, oh, he's a he's a, you know, careful Trojan horse. He's going to come in and be a a far left, you know, guy. And then he's doing that. And I don't understand the calculus here. Who are the people? I mean, part of it's obviously him. He's the president. Why are these decisions being made the way that they are? Yeah, so I disagree with you on one point. I don't think he's a progressive, and I don't think he's a socialist. I think he, but what you said, he's scared of the base. That's that's where this is. This is being driven by the fact the party is in a huge transition because they this man might not run for a second term. So all these conversations that are taking place behind the scenes that are never on the record and never out in the media about how the party's in transition, they are going to lose the midterms, they potentially, they're going to lose the House, they potentially could lose the Senate, and the party's saying, what are you going to leave us with? You know, Vice President Harris is going to run. Where is this party going? They all make the case, you've got to go out guns blazing, and you have to pass, pass all this transformative stuff, and we need to have our kitchen sink. For that full interview with A.B. Stoddard, Log on to GuyBensonShow.com. You can listen to the interview, download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. It's always free, on demand, every day, including bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, it's time for the home stretch. Producer Christine wants to offer a clarification. After yesterday's home stretch, we'll get to that plus her Halloween party. She wants to tell us how she invited her own husband to the party that they're hosting. That's next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Homestretch on the Guy Benson Show, almost Halloween. Happy Friday to all of you. So yesterday in this segment, we were talking about this discussion that I saw prompted on social media. Is it possible for a man and a woman to be best friends platonically with no romance whatsoever? Is that a thing? Is that possible? So we had a debate. My answer was yes. My best friend, in fact, is a woman. Producer Christine, Dan also disagreed. Wyatt had a very funny contribution. You can go back and catch the home stretch yesterday on the free podcast. But producer Christine really felt very strongly about this. And at one point made a reference to herself as an animal. We actually clipped that and we played it. And her husband, Bobby, listened to the segment 
We did a poll, by the way, on Twitter, at Guy Benson Show. And this was the question that we asked. Help us settle the debate. Is it possible for a man and a woman to be completely platonic best friends with no romantic aspect at all? My answer was yes. Christine's answer was no. There was also an option. It depends. So producer Christine has commanded the support of less than one-third of respondents. 32% agree with Christine and Dan. 52%, a majority, agree with me. 16% say it depends, which I actually count as agreeing with me. Because the question was, is it possible? So if the answer is it depends, that means, yes, it is possible for some people. So this was another two-thirds to one-third landslide on behalf of Guy Benson against cookie producer Christine. And not only was Christine licking her wounds, having lost yet another one of these polls, her own husband, who was listening, as I mentioned, he had a few interesting, perhaps choice words for Christine. And I guess there are some clarifications that she would like to offer, Christine. So yesterday I was trying to make the point, not that I'm just an animal, but we're all animals. And I was saying, I was using Dan, our lovely engineer, as a an example that I just wouldn't randomly go out, you know, to dinner and movies with him. And uh, my husband had an interesting take. He said it came off like I was saying, I'm an animal, so I can't be controlled. Who knows what I'll do? That's why I can't go hang out with Dan platonically. That's not, that's not at all what I meant. And um, I'm I, I'm not sure, actually, if I'm clarifying this any much better. Yeah, you might need a clarification of the clarification could on you Monday. Do, could you clarify this for me, please? No, no, oh, because God. I'm enjoying this. I will also say it wasn't just your husband, Bobby, who had a few words for you about this. You heard from Max, who was listening to the show, and he uh, took exception. Did he not? He did. He did. He didn't understand, uh, you know, where I was coming from. I I don't think any of you guys just ever get me. So. Because <laughs> he was like, hang on, we can't hang out as friends. Yeah, he didn't platonically. understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's because it is possible. And you were relentless at calling him your best friend. Calling him Maxie. You had a little pet name for him and everything. That's true. But I did don't don't forget I did make the exception that I'm a married woman now uh, and a mother, so it's kind yeah, of uh, different. And I and I rejected that. It sounds like you're sort of in the it depends category. You don't even agree with yourself. I've persuaded you to the point that you don't even agree with yourself. That's what I'm hearing here. In the meantime, you've got a party coming up this weekend. You planned it. I guess, what, did you invite a bunch of people and then you decided to tell Bobby that this was happening? Is it at your house? How did you tell him? Yes, I'm having a Halloween party for Megan's little friends and then, of course, all of the parents. So it's kind of, it's not like one of my over-the-top holiday parties, but we're doing pizza, beer, wine, cocktails. Is it Saturday? No, Sunday. Sunday. We're going to do this before we go trick-or-treating. You know, get the parents a little liquored up. Yeah. And so... The thing is, I was trying to explain this to Dan. He didn't understand why I would be so cold as to let Bobby know two days or three days before this party that we were having one is, I'm sure I've said this before, Bobby's starting point for everything is no. 
he doesn't, he's not a, a yes person, especially with me. Like everything is, any idea is always no. And then you kind of, kind of, you know, work the cookie magic. So, so you're a ask for an, an apology. Oh, not for yeah. permission. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. Type yeah. And I don't even mentality. know if I really ask for forgiveness, but <laughs> so I decided uh, we were all going to go trick or treating. So I, I think there's about 20 people, which is not like a huge party. But there's about 20 people coming on Sunday. So I think it was yesterday I texted Bobby and I said, great news, Halloween party Sunday. And he's like, oh, okay, where? And then I just put our address and I wrote, be there. <laughs> oh, you informed him by text? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I was working. So, so you texted him his own home address to inform him that he will be hosting a party. Yes. And the funny thing is, he's so used to my shenanigans that he didn't even really argue or anything. He just wrote yuck. And then he wrote, oh, <laughs> what a good response. Yuck. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're going to be at one, two, three, four, eyesore lane. Be there. <laughs> now, here's the one question that I do have for you, though, Christine, about this Halloween party and all the kids and all the excitement. Is it strange to host a Halloween party when your house is already fully decked out for Christmas? So we're no 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 we're not there yet. Don't forget. Uh I'll start decorating for Christmas usually November 1st. Uh, th- listen, we got it. We'll talk about this down the road. I'm we're I'm a little confused cuz I am hosting thanks Oh, I should tell Bobby that. I'm hosting Thanksgiving this year. So, um I'm thinking of like leaving some fall decor and then just definitely have the tree up, you know, completely decorated. So fall and Christmas decorations clashing. I I don't. You said clashing. I don't. Nothing in my home clashes. Oh, I doubt that. I I haven't been. I've never been invited. In fact, but I have a guess that there's some clashing stuff, including just the decorations, because you're always wanting every holiday to be decorated for like four months in advance, which is awkward when you're trying to celebrate a current holiday. I just don't know how you really manage it. And I know Bobby has pointed out, like, well, why are you going to put up Christmas stuff already when you have all this Thanksgiving stuff? It's this is a a very tricky balancing act for a cookie out there. Now, one person who will definitely not, it sounds like, be attending your party. First of all, he works on Sundays. But second of all, it doesn't really sound like he's very much in the Halloween spirit. Our colleague, Chris Wallace, anchor of Fox News Sunday, he was on one of the local stations promoting Fox News Sunday. I believe it was Fox 5 in D.C., and they were asking if he might join some of the hijinks with costumes. I'll just uh, have a listen to this. Cut 15. I'm dressing up at 10 o'clock because we <laughs> have to do a Halloween show every year here at Fox 5. And I'm disappointed that you're not going to be joining us. This was the day I was going to invite you to the studio. But if you're not going to dress up, then we're going to do that. Let me say, I can't think of a less inviting invitation <laughs> than saying, oh, come here and make a damn fool of yourself dressing up as a cat. <laughs> All right. We, look, we can do it. We'll make it simple. Uh, we Let me will just say, say, Steve, <laughs> yeah, Steve, that's a hard no. Not a no, a hard no. It's a hard no. Is there anything harder than a hard no? Should producer Christine invite Chris Wallace to her Halloween party? I'm not sure, but I think if anyone's going to come up with the words for it, it's going to be Chris Wallace. And also, like, in fairness, I'm trying to imagine how Chris Wallace would be at a Halloween party. Right? He'd show up. He'd be certainly not in a costume. He'd just be, like, cornering guests. 
pressing them with follow-up questions. Sir, sir, with respect. He'd go up to each person and hello again. <laughs> I think he and I are kindred spirits on this one. I'm not a big Halloween guy. I know. Sorry. I do it sometimes. If Adam were involved, see, I'm in Chicago for this weekend, so I'm going to the Northwestern game tomorrow. Go Cats, beat Minnesota. We'll see. Uh, Not too optimistic, but one never knows. If I were back home, I mean, he has a costume. He is going as Spellcheck, and it's a fairly elaborate thing. He ordered multiple components for this costume. He did a whole pre-Halloween thing with our friend last night, making little gifts for the adults. In the neighborhood, then there'll be candy for the kids. So he's all into it. If I were there and present for all of it, just like last year, remember, I was one of the cast members, one of the characters from S. Creek, the show whose name we can't say on the radio because the first word rhymes with the word that we can't say on the air. But S. Creek. I was Patrick from S. Creek. And he was David. Of Ew David, right? Him. I'm sure I would somehow be, I don't know, grammar check, word count. I'd be some sort of uh, Microsoft Word feature, I would guess, to complement his costume. But I'm in Chicago. So my costume will be that guy uh, who's dressed up like a Northwestern fan who thinks that they still have a chance to get to 500, right? That's, that's basically my costume. Call me lame, if you will, but it, perhaps it's the, it's the Chris Wallace model of journalism. Next year. Maybe I'll do a costume next year. Right, good luck with the uh, the party there, Christine. I'll have to report back on Monday after your clarification of the clarification about the animal statement. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy Halloween. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy Bonus Benson back here on Monday for The Guy Benson Show. everybody, it's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.